You're listening to Very Loose Women. Hello listeners, you're listening to Very Loose Women, recorded from Nikki's house. I'm here today with Danielle King, who's going to be talking to us about the anti-psychiatry movement and her work in the mental health service. Hi Danny. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. <laughs> cool. So can you start off by telling us a bit about who you are, your background and how you got into this work? So basically I was, I dropped out of my A-levels when I was younger and went into work work and then I started working in a um, women's refuge and also volunteered at a homeless shelter and kind of working in those places made me realise that, you know, I really wanted to get into kind of a like a helping profession. So I was also working at um, a university and it made me think that I actually did want to go back into kind of education. Um, so I redid my A-levels and kind of worked my way through education and now I'm doing a doctorate, a clinical psychology doctorate, um, to be a, a clinical psychologist. Awesome. So can you tell us a bit more about the anti-psychiatry movement, what that means, and about how your academic work and your doctorate conflicts with the practical work that you're doing in the NHS? Mm. So the anti-psychiatry movement um, has been going on for quite a long time. But um, I know since like the 60s or 70s, there were, you know, people kind of doing, there was a study, a famous study done where um, people went into a psychiatric hospital and got themselves admitted on the basis of just saying thud over and over again um, and nothing else. And they all got sectioned and they all got, you know, some of them were actually kind of kept in hospital for a long, long time. Uh, this study was published. It was in it was in lots of different hospitals. The study was published and it was like this big uproar in the psychiatry system that you know I can't believe this could have happened blah 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 um so that was a kind of a bit of a turning point and then since then people have you know been doing more and more research into kind of the damage that the the, the psychiatry system can do um a big thing at the moment then is is kind of the biological medical model versus a more you know social constructionist model um so the you know, the medical model is still really prevalent in mental health. And, you know, you hear a lot the kind of rhetoric of, you know, there's a chemical imbalance in your head. And if you take medication, then that will fix it. Um, and I mean, obviously, this is quite a wide movement, but specifically in my doctorate at University of East London, they're kind of known for being a bit kind of lefty radical in the way that they say, actually, instead of putting the problem on the individual person, why aren't we looking at the wider social you know, social construct that kind of creates difficulties for people. So instead of just meeting one person and saying, okay, you're sad, take these drugs, it's kind of what's what's happened to you? Have you had trauma? You know, are you in trauma now? Is it about your, you know, your living situation, abuse, you know, the racist systems we're in? Um, but I guess it is, a, is difficult because we're getting taught all these things in my on my course and the reality of the mental health system is that it is still very medical model and you know it's hard to kind of say these kind of things without getting looked at funny and mm. thought you're kind of you know radical and weird or kind of okay sure but anyway back to the medication um so yeah it, there is quite a, a tension um doing that yeah that's really interesting I see that a lot in my work as well how like issues like poverty and violence and abuse are kind of pathologized and put onto the individual person instead of thinking about it as like 
a normal reaction to a really big systemic problem and I can yeah because we have to work with the mental health services as well and I can imagine it must be so much more difficult working within that system um can you give a few more examples or talk a bit more about how this dominant model of mental health treatment negatively affects people's lives yeah so I mean there's many many ways that it negatively affects people's lives but I guess if we think so I try and work very non-diagnostically um but if we think about diagnoses that people kind of are aware of um you know so schizophrenia many more men than women are diagnosed with schizophrenia um, often that can be about kind of viewing pe- men as more aggressive and, you know, the ways in which people who identify as men are kind of socialised to express things. Um, also, it can be it's it's completely um, imbalanced racially as well. So many, many more black men are, are sectioned for um, schizophrenia type kind of presentation. Um, and it really disproportionately affects kind of the black community because of you know racism basically because of the racist system interpreting things differently mm. for different people um and then you've got the kind of okay so we'll give them loads of medication instead of kind of looking at the systems that brought them there in the first place including as part of it kind of the avoidance of the healthcare system from black and you know minority ethnic communities because there's a um a theory by Keating called circles of fear that if you don't know enough about the healthcare system because the work hasn't been done to connect that to that community about mental health and the only interactions you've had with it are quite negative, it just keeps people away. And so that by the time they get to into the mental health care system, which for black men is often by the police, then, you know, they're still terrified of it. And now they're at the worst place to kind of get, get into it and get help. So you can see how that really like perpetuates. Um, and then another good example is kind of the diagnosis of um, borderline personality disorder, which is, you know, a controversial and really stigmatising disorder, um, a diagnosis, sorry, that I personally don't believe, you know, I don't really kind of believe in diagnoses. I think there's a um, a model called the power threat meaning framework, and it's about kind of what what were the power imbalances in your life that have caused these, these issues, um, what you know, what the threats were and what meaning did you make of them? And the meaning is kind of the symptoms that, that people present with. Um, so if you think about borderline personality disorder, and I'm doing air quotes with that, <laughs> um, you know, it, it people look at the kind of symptoms of it. So, oh, OK, you find it difficult to relate to people. OK, you self-harm, you've, you've you know, tried to um, commit suicide and just jump to this diagnosis and then kind of don't really have very good treatment people aren't that well supported people get fed up of them in the mental health system people say use stigmatizing language like people are manipulative and all these kind of things which is so 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 damaging and and awful for the person going through it um whereas if you come at it from a trauma perspective you know what's happened to you what helps you and and also recognize that if people a lot of people with that diagnosis have had some kind of trauma not everyone but some kind of traumatic thing in their life um or at least have interpreted it as a traumatic event so if you talk about that and support them through that then that can be really useful rather than kind of labeling someone then not helping them and stigmatizing them where where does that get anyone but unfortunately the system is set up 
especially in terms of funding to mm. like go via diagnoses and that's that's kind of how the money comes in but um yeah it, it's just very damaging and and a lot of people given that label really really suffer in the mental health system um and just to say with that diagnosis it's it's often more given to women so like there is that again that kind of real gender split of like you know and, and men might get kind of antisocial personality disorder or schizophrenia but women get kind of depression and borderline personality disorder and it's just there's a massive gender divide in kind of how we're socialized to express our feelings and emotions and trauma in in, in gender and then how that is interpreted by other people mm. yeah it's really interesting that kind of people's coping strategies are like put into those different boxes and then given diagnoses I read this really interesting quote and I'm interested to know whether you agree with this but um it was saying that coping strategies instead of like being pathologized should be reframed as I think it was active resistance to experiences of oppression Mm. or something like that which I found really helpful in terms of my work and working with women that have experienced sexual violence and lots of other forms of oppression throughout their lives and the coping strategies that sometimes they present with that don't fit into like western norms of how people should cope Mm -hmm. are often like yeah pathologized and then channeled into these different kinds of diagnoses Mm -hmm. and I like don't have the kind of knowledge that you have about about these diagnoses and, and the mental health system and I'm always trying to figure out like is this you know is this helping them to get these diagnoses or is it actually kind of just depressing people in different ways and obviously like a lot of the time you have to get a diagnosis in order to access Mm. treatment and it's such a minefield so I'd yeah it's really interesting to talk about it and I'd love to learn more about that. Well there's two things that come up from what you just said I found interesting about the if when people use the very stigmatizing language of attention seeking of saying to people you know if if you're if you're forcing yourself to go down that route of like okay they're attention seeking then what are, what is someone seeking like what are they what have they not got from society that they are looking for and why can't you give it to them meet them on a human level and give them support and kindness and warmth and listening like mm. you know even if you're going to be stigmatizing about it how why does that make it that you can't meet them and and help them mm. i just and you're saying like oh i don't know that much about it in terms of mental health I think that's a good thing like you know it's I guess again it's that tension of like I love what I'm learning and I love working in mental health and and kind of you know working with amazing people but arguably it'd be better if we didn't have well not I think it would be better if we didn't have this system and Mm. we didn't have these labels and people didn't know that much about it because then we think we'd be forced into working in different ways and and Mm. helping people in different ways so it's it's no bad thing because I think my uni is you know fairly unique in how it works if you think of all the other people that are still propping up the medical model or learning ways that are quite pathologizing Mm. it's scary it's really scary yeah well these things that you're talking about generally like they are perceived to be really radical Mm, even though they make a lot of sense that brings me on to something that I wanted to ask actually in terms of how to make change Mm. with with the mental health system and with all of these things that you're talking about and the tension that you must feel working within within the NHS within structures that don't really let you work in the way that you want 
but that being the system that we have at the moment and it probably being very important to have people like you within that system to work in a different way but I can imagine that you must also feel tempted to like get away from that system and to have more freedom so what do you think is kind of the best way to go towards making change it's I struggle with that all the time because part of me thinks at the moment okay I'll qualify so that I'm someone that you know has a a title I suppose that people will listen to you know clinical psychologist you must know what she's talking about and I'll qualify and then you know leave the NHS and set up something more radical and set up a grassroots kind of thing and and work with people in the community and and then I think but you know the NHS does try it has a lot of failings but also there's money there there's it there's clear not always great but clear pathways for people so and and I read something when I was revising for my exams recently that, you know, someone saying, you know, the good ones leave because they get burnt out and and then, you know, the bad ones are left and they perpetuate all the all the bad stuff. So I don't know. I think in my head, I'm like, well, I'll just do both. I work a bit in the NHS and a bit in kind of the charity sector or whatever. But I guess it's it's about trying to work from within to to change those structures mm. even though it's it's so depressingly slow to do that um but if you just give up then nothing will happen no change will happen so yeah but it's, it is something I wrestle with because I'm only in my first year of, of a three-year course and I'm already feeling like this so yeah who knows <laughs> yeah it's really difficult like I definitely get that as well like working in in the charity sector and in a charity that you know, I don't really agree with a lot of the the wider structural kind of ideas that underpin it and the way that like support is conceptualized. You ha- you have to find that freedom to like work in the most radical way that you can, like when you're working on the front lines of those kinds of organizations. And I guess working with clients in a way that you see to be the most empowering and radical way that you can is probably one of the most important things that you can do. Yeah, because there's so many people being quietly radical and, you know, I guess I'd say I'm one of them. I don't do, I don't at the moment do much outside of my, my work, but, you know, yeah, there's loads of psychologists that are working in, a, in in the most empowering way they can within the system. And for individuals, they feel that and they experience that. And, you know, maybe they might then go out and put some of that empowerment out into the world in whatever way they can. So, yeah, I think if you if you try and frame it positively and see it that way um you know yes stuff is happening and change is is being made and I guess with with lots of movements it's you know hard to make quick big change Mm. you know but yeah it's also sad to think about it that way because I would love to make quick big change in mental health yeah um I just want to come back to a couple of things you mentioned about racial injustice and gender injustice within the mental health system and I wondered if you could link that back to how these diagnostic criterias and this kind of whole system was created in the first place. Yeah I mean it's still weird for me to talk about it because it's it's it feels so shocking that it it shouldn't be true it's I mean that happens with loads of stuff but it's you just kind of don't want it to be so clearly a biased 
made up system, but it is. It's so, you know, diagnoses have been based on really arbitrary things. You know, there's lots of research that show, you know, psychiatrists would diagnose the same person with, you know, many, many different uh, diagnoses. Psychiatrists, when presented with certain groups of symptoms that are displayed by, you know, an unknown person would diagnose them and then it turns out to be one of their colleagues. It just, there's all this research that shows it is completely arbitrary. And then you've got the, so diagnoses at the moment are based on the um, DSM-5. I can't remember what it stands for, the diagnostic something manual, which was basically a group of white men, you know, gathered around a table looking at research that showed again, air quotes, that, you know, these these groups of symptoms meant something. But the argument is, like, really circular. Because if you've got those symptoms, it means you have, say, schizophrenia. You have schizophrenia because you have those symptoms. You know, they're not looking any deeper than that. And then if you go to the research they were using, you know, it's based on Eurocentric studies done usually on white, straight, cis men, and, and then kind of, what's the word, generalised or extrapolated or whatever to, to other groups which and it doesn't work it doesn't fit people are not one group one size fits all um so then anything anyone that's outside of those those experiences that are written down in this book you know it, they just surprise people and they so they just slip, slap a label on and kind of put them away so because they don't want to look more deeply into the experiences of those those people on record people in that in the kind of from that psychiatric group that came up with um the dsm saying you know we liken it to uh sitting around the table choosing what um takeaway we're going to get uh, what what we're going to call this what you know what label we're we going to give this what group are we and and they just go around basing it like i said really arbitrarily should we do that should we do that yeah okay it's 95 o'clock like you know and that stuff is on record it's not i'm not kind of you know being dramatic about it and that's what our system is based on, you know, a group of white men making decisions. I mean, that happens all the time with everything, but mm. it's just, you know, shocking now that the, the kind of pain people experience, it, it just, yeah. Anyway, so the biases have been there from the start. So, of course, if, you, you know, if you're if you're taught that, you know, an aggress- aggression or loudness or, or whatever means x you're you're going to go with it you're not going to think outside the box with that and that affects any group of people that isn't the kind of white middle class mm. person you know that's so interesting and really disturbing yeah <laughs> um yeah it makes me think a bit about obviously um recently discussions about prison abolition have become have come to the fore due to the Black Lives Matter movement and they're emphasising the criminal justice system as something that was always from the beginning a tool for social control rather than something to make people's lives better or to make people feel safe. Um, And do you think there are parallels with the mental health system? Yeah, absolutely, because you know, the type of people that were kind of put away in the beginning, you know, like women were put away for having um, babies outside of marriage. And and there's like horror stories of of them being kind of found like 20 or 30 years later, fully institutionalised for that, 
you know it's it's just appalling um and yeah it's always been used as a as a means of social control like you're you're a bit different you're a bit odd we we don't know what to do with you so let's lock you up um and then you know they try to deinstitutionalize the the system and and get people out of hospitals and back into the community which was a good thing in 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 some respects but then you know the community support has been like gradually and gra- more gradually stripped away so actually it's not there there's not enough community resource to to support people so they just go back into hospital and then so more even more so than it was before because there was that kind of feeling I think in the beginning of like oh you you can't help it you know that's not that's not a justification for kind of sectioning people and locking people up but it was less kind of it's your fault whereas now the system is set up in a way where it's like oh well you know the stuff's there for you to use it. it's that really like neoliberalist kind of view stuff's there for you to use it why aren't you using it it must be your fault while you keep having to go back into hospital instead of recognizing that the and again, it's just, you know, a form of control because it's like putting the problem onto the person instead of, again, looking at the systems. Um, I don't know if that exactly answers your question. No, that, but... that, that, that 100% <laughs> answers the question. Um, I guess I'm interested to know what we can do to change this or what would a more just and effective and caring mental health system look like to you? Um it's hard not to be quite, you know, cynical and pessimistic um, because there is loads of really fantastic work happening and there are loads of people inside the system, like we were talking about earlier, you know, fighting for change. So even things like, you know, where I work, there's a, you know, a therapeutic garden being set up and, and kind of therapy around gardening and, you know, lots of art and play and drama therapy. But I suppose that's still located within within a system. Um Whereas ideally, and and again, there's been some fantastic research and there's a lot of things like this that do go on, you know, the the support needs to come from the community and be, you know, people be asked what they want, you know, peer support kind of, you know, groups where people can just talk, you know, so there's like the Hearing Voices Network for people who have unusual experiences that that can be labelled, you know, in the system as schizophrenia. And it's just a peer support group and it's just you know so fantastic it's such an amazing movement I guess the the problem is with saying that is is you know like I said there aren't the resources in the community so when you say okay be supported by the community that you know you've got massive carer burden on on families you know you've got you've got kind of communities that don't know what to how to support people with with mental illness so you know these things need to be there but they also need to be funded or they need to be you know supported by people who who you know, are in a position to to help. And so, you know, a lot of the money maybe that's in the system now, can, like with the, you know, prison system, could should be funneled into different areas. But it just doesn't happen. There's not kind of like a cohesive way. So there's that real split between the NHS, mental health system, private, which obviously only a, a few people can afford, mm. and then kind of this community stuff, which happens and is really beautiful, but can easily fall apart you know, due to money and resources and things. So that's what I mean about it sounding a bit depressing. Mm. Yeah, and I guess it's it's all linked into the wider change that we need to mm. see in society. Like under a capitalist system, those things aren't allowed to thrive. Yeah. Except when you get a bit of 
luck and mm. some projects manage to continue, but it's not set up for that, I guess. And and there's lots of people that kind of slip through the gaps. Like there's loads of, you know, there are loads of groups out there. There there are, but you know, things for very specific communities, things for kind of asylum seekers, things for LGBT people. Mm. You know, but it, I I just guess there's not enough. There's not enough because yeah, what you were saying, it's just kind of not allowed to happen mm. under the system we're in. Do you have any advice for people that might be interested in this and want to learn more? Um, so I guess just on a personal level, you know, just keep challenging that that view because it's so easy to go with that kind of dominant model. You know, when I first started out, I had thoughts about this stuff, but I didn't have words for it. So, you know, I remember saying to a psychiatrist, you know, do you think this person is struggling because of, you know a racist system because of you know his you know come from another country he's you know feels very alone and he was like well yeah maybe but also you know the chemical imbalance in his brain is you know causing the problem so and I didn't know how to argue back about that so I think any learning that you can do around that there's a lot out there a bit it's just not because it's not the dominant model just don't make assumptions that the dominant model is the correct one and if you can be non non-diagnostic about these things you know not necessarily using labels but just asking people how they are without kind of jumping to conclusions um and there is lots of research out there I guess I'd recommend um John Reed is one of my professors at UEL and he's he's done lots of research about this kind of stuff there's someone called uh, Ellen Longdon who uh, got given a diagnosis of schizophrenia and um you know really kind of fights against that now um she's got a great TED talk on YouTube there's lots of networks as the activist research collective um, who kind of, yeah, doing research for people who have lived experiences um, and, and against, again, fighting against that kind of main model. Uh, there's NSUN, which is the National Survivors something, but they're, they're really good as well. Oh, there's recovery in the bin as well, um, because, again, there's that kind of like you need to recover um, way of thinking, whereas actually people don't recover it's not linear you know they they might live with things forever but that doesn't mean that their life is like worse or bad or you know um so there's lots of ways I think you know as much as you can go out and educate yourself about this stuff because the more we challenge it on a day-to-day level I guess that's when the the bigger change can have space to come in isn't it absolutely um we'll put those some of those links in the what's it called the blurb of (laughs) the podcast um for people that are interested to learn more. Thanks so much, Danny. It's been really interesting to talk to you and sounds like you're doing amazing work and I'm always learning so much from you. Um, So thanks for that. Thank you. And yep, you've been listening to Very Loose Women. You can follow us on Twitter at VLW Radio and we're on Instagram at VLW Radio and also Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Very Loose Women. Thanks for listening. Bye.